For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Podcast. I'm your co-host Mike Broadbent. Joining me once again is Richie Schneiderite. Uh, Richie, a really jam-packed weekend of Rutgers football news. We obviously had a game on Friday night, nationally broadcast game on FS1. Uh, total stinker. Um, we lost. We were up 13 nothing. We ended up losing 14 13, and that resulted in a pretty big shakeup amongst the coaching staff. Piano said last night this is the first time he's ever done that where he's hot fire to coach mid-season. But we're going to get into all that. Uh, but first, this podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Uh, football is back, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your football betting needs this season. You'll find the latest odds, matchup info, player news, and game trends. And as your continued source for all sports wagering info, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, live scores, and giveaways all season long. Uh, it's always the fastest and easiest way to make all your bets on all your favorite sports, including Major League Baseball, MMA, tennis, boxing, and even golf. You can head to betonline.ag to join and receive a 100% welcome bonus that's up from the 50% welcome bonus they were previously offering on your first deposit. Make sure you use the promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. BetOnline, where the game starts. Yeah, I mean, uh, you can't beat that deal right there. I uh, actually hit on the Giants' halftime money line bet. That's a big, nice. big win on that one, so that was nice, but... Uh, we're also sponsored by uh, Adam Goldman. Basically, like if you don't want to be like Sean Gleason, you kind of just don't like what you're doing and you want to change things up a little bit. <laughs> um, Adam's the guy to call. He's uh, are you like uh, if you're trying to change your career completely and want to diversify a little bit? He's the uh, the franchise coach. He'll set you up and get you started with uh, any franchise you want, really, for the most part. Um, you could start your own Dunkin' Donuts, your own McDonald's, your own uh, not your own coaching service because I don't I don't know if that's how that works there, but. Uh, uh, yeah, get, he gets a free consultation process. Adam's a, a Jersey guy, Watch on Hills native, uh, Scarlet Knight fan, and Night Report member. So if, if you're interested in changing up your career, uh, give him a call at 844-800-3726. All right, so let's talk about the game first. Uh, I thought we had a fantastic start to the game where that first drive, the offense was humming. The first few drives even, we had some we had a, probably our most success passing in the intermediate to deep passing game since Wagner. We had like 
three or four. We had, I think, four completions of over 25 yards in that first quarter, uh, three of them by Noah, the other by Evan and Simon. Uh, we scored on the opening uh, possession. We went up 7 nothing. The defense got a, a quick stop after that. Uh, but I feel like, and I don't know if this is because Nebraska made adjustments or if we got conservative, but the offense just totally looked like it changed course over the, the last probably quarter, like the last half of the first second quarter in the last in the second half. We just were so conservative. We got nothing moving on the, on offense. Um, that's kind of my read on it, Richie. What did you see on on Friday, and why do you think ultimately we ended up losing that game? Yeah, so it's it's weird. The passing game was working really well, and I don't think a lot of people saw that one coming because Nebraska is a uh, uh, what do you call it? Their their weak point, I guess, would be their running defense, and Rutgers was just passing the ball mm-hmm. over the field. It was kind of weird. Uh, we saw Noah Vedrill come back. He looks pretty healthy. Threw a couple balls down the field. Uh, he hit Sean Ryan on one really nice one uh, in the first drive, and then. Uh, Things just got really conservative. Like you said, like even uh, they got that first drive down, I think it was six plays, 75 yards, something like that, touchdown quick. I'm like, holy, holy shit, this team's going to score a lot today, it looks like. And then all of a sudden yeah. it's like block punt, and then they're in the red zone again, and it's like, wow, they might they might go 14 nothing real quick. And for some reason, I, I still don't understand to this day, like or to this minute, why he didn't put Sam Brown in. Sam Brown was at, after the block punt. Like Sam Brown was dominating for the most part. He's your best running back yep. by far. I don't think there's a question about it anymore. And they just didn't put him in in the red zone. And it's like, what, what the hell is going on? Instead, they're running Johnny Langan package. They're doing this. They're doing that. They're trying to get too creative. And I think that's Sean, that was Sean Gleason's biggest issue at Rutgers is he just he thought he could reinvent the wheel. Like, it's not like you don't have to go super complicated, run a simplistic offense. And overall, it's uh, it was just so ugly. I don't understand how you score, again, one offensive touchdown for the first – for just about every game so far. I think it's like down to one. It was 1.25 offensive touchdowns per game, not including Wagner. Now it's down to, I don't even know what the numbers are, but it's it's low. Um, it's It was ugly. It was just a brutal game, and they just should not have lost. So many points left on the board. The Evan Simon sack right before halftime put him out of field goal range. Uh, they still made an attempt, and McAtammy, like, give him credit. He was very close, but if they didn't get that sack, then he probably would have hit it. Then the whole game Yeah, that's a 58-yard attempt that... Goes yeah. from a, a 49-yarder to a 58-yarder. And then you're right there. You're 16-14. You probably win the game. Well, maybe they didn't even score again. Who knows? But uh, it was just – it was brutal. you got to credit to the defense, though. They played their hearts out. They, they played phenomenal. They're on the field for, what, 70% of the game, if not more. Um, that late touchdown kind of screwed them a little bit. But oh, overall, it's just – it was such a bad collapse from Rutgers, and it's – We've seen this happen too many times over and over again. Like it, it's just like at the point where, unless you have like a twenty-one point lead, I don't even know if that's safe. When watching like watching these games, like obviously the offense struggled and some news broke. Obviously, and uh, Gleason's gone, and here we are. It's uh, going to be an interesting ride for the rest of the season. Yeah. Uh, so I, I want to say that after they didn't score a touchdown on the block punt, like first of all. Chiano covered this. It's a drill that I, I I believe that they probably do pretty regularly, the scoop and score drill, where you're taught mm-hmm. to, you got to first, you got to field the ball cleanly, and then you got to, as a team, you got to kind of bowling ball them into the end zone. And two guys kind of messed it up. I think Parker Day was the guy who ended up falling on it. But first and goal from the nine-yard line, you run Johnny Langan right into the back of your offensive lineman. Then you do a handoff, set up a third and nine, 
with Noah rolling out. So you're cutting off half the, the field by rolling out to the right sideline, and then he just throws it out of bounds. So you have three points there, and it just felt that this team couldn't move the ball. We got the ball several times in the second half, right around midfield, and you just knew that they weren't going to get a first down. They're not going to get significant yardage to get us into field goal range. The penalties fucking killed us this weekend. From <laughs> most penalized you know, the, team in uh, special, or most penalized special teams too, in the country. Like, like you had that that play from Sam Brown where you had like a twenty-one yard run that was either a touchdown or we're getting first and goal at the one that's come that's brought back on a penalty. Uh, so it's set up instead of first and goal from the one, you're you got first, second and twenty from like the thirty-five. That's a backbreaker. The Kesson Abraham penalty on third and you know eight when they got a two-yard gain, throwing him out of bounds. That's the kind of guy. And I mean, we've talked about how Kess kind of has had a down season. But you need to have your composure in moments like that as a as a veteran leader on the team. So that was unfortunate. Just like so many critical mistakes. And this isn't just on the players. What the hell happened with the coaching staff on that, that third down? We're, we're calling timeouts way too early, in my opinion. We're starting to call timeouts in the fourth quarter at like five minutes. We get it to third down. We got one timeout left. We use a second timeout to get a substitution in because they messed up the substitutions. So now you're out of all your timeouts. It's third down, and then the Kesson Abraham play happens. So it's just everybody was frazzled, it seems. And I don't know if it's kind of everybody on the team is kind of knowing the offense is holding them back, and so the frustrations are building, which causes problems, which causes mental mistakes. But the whole team right now is off kilter, and they really need to take this bye week to get themselves back focused in on what they should be doing, which is – Chiano preaches the chop, but nobody's abiding by the chop right now. It's insane. Like, everybody's making mistakes from the top level all the way down to the special teams gunner. It's 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 so hard to watch Rutgers play right now. Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head with just about everything. Um, starting from the Johnny Langan thing, it's like, stop, stop running him. He's just running straight into the line. It doesn't work against good teams, or not even mediocre teams. It works against, like, the SCS, like, Wagner teams and, like, uh, the Temples of the world. It's not working against Nebraska Johnny Langan runs are averaging under one yard per carry against Big Ten opponents this year. That's, it's disgusting. What, they think, what, he ran three times against Iowa, it says, for minus one yard. It's like, it just doesn't work. Like, stop it. And he's a pretty damn good tight end. Throw it to him once in a while. Um, I know he they attempted some... to, and it, yeah, they, they had, had a, a critical drop in that game. That was yeah, that was pretty bad. But he did have that one catch too. That was went for like I think twenty yards or something like that. Yeah. Um, he. I mean, it's just the offense is just so putrid. It's disgusting. It's anemic. It's any word that just means bad. It's bad. Like, um, that's why. That's why he's gone. That's why Sean Gleason's gone. We kind of thought this might happen towards the end of the season, but it happened obviously a lot earlier. Um, and like, like you said, this is the first time Sean, or Sean, uh, that Greg's ever fired a coach mid-season, and now we're uh, we're rocking with nuns and seeing how that goes, I guess. Yeah, so I want to kind of talk about the implications of that. So Greg's been a head coach for a long time. He's never fired a coach mid-season. Typically, you see, what you see with Greg is he goes, and even if he's not happy with a guy, he'll not fire him but he'll just, like, wait for him to get another job. Like, you saw that with Rob Smith last year. The defensive coordinator whoa, was terrible. Whoa. Duke hired him away from Rutgers. Yeah, yeah. If you ask a Duke fan, they hired him away. But he waited until Rob got a new job to not mm-hmm. renew his contract and let him go. You see him fire Sean Gleason. So what does that mean? 
So, Sean Gleason was making over a million dollars a year to be our offensive coordinator. He was one of the top 20 paid coordinators in football, I believe, or if not top 20 coordinators, top 20 uh, offensive coordinators. It was one of the few big boy hires Rutgers has in terms of shelling out money. Mm -hmm. And you see him fired mid-season with another year left on his deal. So this is a guy who's still owed a million dollars for next season and half a million dollars for this season. So that's a million five just burned. Now, we're playing big boy football with this kind of move. Not only from Shiano making that decision, because it sounds like he actually had a lot of affection for Sean, and he actually liked him a lot, but also with that money. Now, that money could have come from a donor. That money could have come from, you know, we're expecting to make $80 million a year in TV right deals, so we have the excess funds. But this is showing that Shiano's not going to put up with units not performing moving forward. And I think that was... That's a big take, a big difference from his first time around, where he just kind of like really let guys. He gave guys every single chance as coaches to, to to turn things around. Not necessarily with players. That was part of his problem. Is he was pulling guys too quick as players and letting guys kind of linger too long as coaches. But then we've had we've given him two and a half years. We've seen pretty awful results from the offense last season and a half. We're gonna have a ton of money to offer to the next guy. That potentially is the offensive coordinator. So being in the Big Ten is a big bonus. Showing patience with coaches is a big bonus. And having money is a big bonus. Now, saying all those things, what do you expect the staff, or what do you expect Shiano to look for in his next offensive coordinator? Um, someone that can score points. I mean, <laughs> that, it sounds so simple, but, like, it's just, it's kind of insane that, like, we're at this point where Rutgers is, once again, one of the worst offenses in the country. Um, maybe Nunn's is going to get a shot. He kind of mentioned it in his... Uh, press conference yesterday like this is kind of his interview process i guess mm-hmm. um do i expect him to get the job i think it's going to take a hell of a turnaround for this offense in order for him to get the job i think he still gets retained like nuns is still a pretty pretty good coach whether that be tight ends running backs etc cetera, etc cetera. um i think you'll see some shifting around the offensive uh, coaching staff this offseason in general um whether that be uh Augie maybe uh, maybe move off. I guess Augie just moved the offensive line. Aldrich was kind of Gleason's boys, so I wouldn't be shocked if he uh, he got the boot as well, and they probably go somewhere else for the running back. Maybe Nuns. That that was what I was speculating last night on the the Twitter space yeah. too. Maybe Nuns goes back to running backs. He he has coached it before. He's coached I think just about everything but wide receivers at this point. Um, so that's a possibility. Maybe you go get someone else that you know that you're familiar with. Um, Savon Huggins potentially maybe comes back. The Rutgers, uh, but that, that's like deep speculation down the line. In terms of offensive coordinator, it's it's got to be someone that can train quarterbacks at the end of the day. Yep, That's the big thing. I know everyone wants their own quarterback coach. It's not realistic. It's not how it works. Uh, maybe some programs, but there's a very few and far in between, have a quarterback coach dedicated strictly to quarterbacks and nothing else. But uh, this is going to be an OC. That guy that also coaches quarterbacks for the most part, in my opinion. Now, where do you go? There's There's a ton of options out there. Um, there's NFL guys, there's college guys, there's a, guy, a lot of guys with connections to Shiano, a lot of New Jersey connections. Uh, I think first and foremost, you, you go down to North Carolina and you give a call to Phil Longo. The guy is the, one of the best offensive coordinators in the country. Um, he obviously wanted the job. I think we actually, I don't know if we reported or someone else did, I forget who got it first, but this was a couple of years ago. He wanted the Rutgers job really bad. Uh, he was very interested in it. Um, he never got the interview. We didn't get any way further than that. But he is uh, doing great for UNC. In the past three or four seasons, he's averaged over 35 points a game, or 33 points per game. 
And this season alone, they're averaging 42 a game. Like, that's that's insane numbers. Imagine that. And inside SHI Stadium, an offense that's throwing the ball that much and actually scoring that much. Like, it'd be Yeah, insane. I do want to talk – I want to dive into Phil Longo's resume. So he's he's been the UNC offensive coordinator since 2019. Before that, he was the offensive coordinator for Ole Miss. At Ole Miss, his first season there, they had Shea Patterson and Jordan Tayamu. Uh, Shea Patterson got hurt midway through the season. In, in seven games, he put up – you know, 2,300 yards, 17 touchdowns, nine interceptions, along with uh, one touchdown rushing. Tiamu comes in. He picks up just where Jay Patterson left off. He has 1,700 yards, 11 touchdowns, four interceptions, four touchdowns on the ground. So he's shown the ability Jeez. at o- Ole Miss to start multiple quarterbacks in the same season and get production. And mind you, they had, a, a, you know, a huge <laughs> – they had an NFL who's who of wide receivers that year, uh, and A.J. Brown, Van Jefferson, D.K. Metcalf, Dawson Knox. But then if you look like look at what he did at North Carolina, starting in 2019 with a true freshman quarterback in Sam Howe, you know, Sam Howe put up 3,600 yards, 38 touchdowns, and seven interceptions as a true freshman. Now, I don't even know what the last time a Rutgers quarterback has touched those numbers. Now, Sam Howe was a top 150 recruit, so he, he, he had some pedigree behind him. But this is a, a, a quarterback coach who designed an offense around multiple quarterbacks and had a ton of success. And Sam Howe, obviously, was a great quarterback for them for three years. And then what did he do this year? True freshman quarterback, Drake May, through six games. He's passing for almost 78% completion percentage, 1,900 yards, passing, 21 touchdowns, three interceptions, and another 300 yards and three touchdowns on the ground. So Phil Longo has shown that he can take any kind of quarterback and turn – and obviously all these guys are talented, but he's – they're different styles. They're different guys. You have to – kind of design different ways to succeed under each player, and he's shown the ability to do that at multiple stops under multiple quarterbacks. So he's definitely the number one choice in my eyes. I think he has to be. He's uh, he's only making, I know it sounds like people are always going to be like, oh, he's making less than a million dollars. We could pay a million dollars. It's like, no, New Jersey's still, the taxes are ridiculous. He's making yep. eight fifty right now at UNC. I think if you gave him like 1.2, I think he might actually like consider it. Now, mind you, would you, UNC is actually investing in football a little bit with Mac Brown and all that. Uh, it's actually worked out for them pretty well so far. I wouldn't be shocked if they came back with like a very close, if not similar, offer. So this might take a lot of money, and it's gonna it's gonna be an interesting one because I, I just I feel like he might be the perfect fit. It's just a matter of it's gonna come down to the dollar sign. Will he pick yeah. up and leave and go back home to New Jersey? He is a New Jersey native from Bayville. He was a Parsippany Hills uh, high school coach at one point, um, and I don't think he's really been back since. Like William Patterson, he coached that for a little bit. No one. But other than that, like LaSalle, I guess PA is really not that far. But then Minnesota, Southern Illinois, Youngstown State, PA again, Slippery Rock, Sam Houston, Ole Miss, and UNC. So he hasn't really been home-home. Um, I'm not I'm trying to figure out if he still has a house in Jersey or not. I guess, obviously, that doesn't play a huge factor because if you're making that much money, you can try to just go buy something tomorrow. But, um, yeah, I think he's got to be candidate number one. Now, after that is where it gets a little bit interesting. There's so many different routes you can go. There's the NFL route with guys like Pittsburgh quarterback coach Mike Sullivan, who was on staff, who was uh, Shiano's OC in Tampa for two years, which was kind of interesting because now he's got NFL experience, he's got NFL experience under his belt. Uh, he's got college experience, spending a lot of time at Army for the most part. And he's, uh, he's obviously developing quarterbacks pretty well. I mean, mind you, this is only uh, Kenny Pickett's first year with the Steelers. But he also is accredited a lot with uh, Eli Manning's success with the Giants when he was QB coach there. 
Um, he's he's a New Jersey native as well. I, I think he's one you got to look into. And then uh, Matt Rule just got fired today. Joe Daly yep. is one I would keep a really close eye on. He's a freehold guy, freehold New Jersey native. Went to play that or coach at BC for a couple of years. Uh, ran some pretty uh, prolific offenses for Liberty from 2014 to 2018. A couple seasons where they averaged over 30 points per game. Um, he's also credited at BC for developing Zay Flowers, the guy who uh, put up some serious yardage uh, last year, and then uh, I think he was all for all ACC first team or something like that. Um, I think he'd come back to college in a heartbeat because, well, number one, it doesn't seem like he'll have a job for much longer. Uh, mind you, could an NFL team pick him up? Yeah, probably. But he's on, on top of all of this. I didn't even mention it. He's a pretty damn good recruiter. He got Joseph Griffin, a four star, to go to uh, to go to Boston College. It's, it's not easy to recruit up there. I can tell you that for yeah. a fact. Like, it is tough. So, I mean, this would kind of be like a Harrisimiak-esque type move where it's a really good recruiter, a really good coach, but he's not maybe not the biggest name on the on the board for Rutgers. But you take him, and they, I, I would I would give him a shot. I mean, he hasn't been an OC since 2019 when he was at New Mexico, mind you. But he's, now he's got some NFL experience under his belt. Uh, he's ran some pretty good offenses, like I said, and, and he's a St. Peter's prep alum. I didn't even mention that one. And you can get back in there. That's a program that produces each and every year. So I think those would be probably the three names I keep the closest eye on, but there's obviously a bunch more out there. You could probably just throw a bunch of shit at a wall and be like, oh, that guy's a New Jersey native. Maybe him. That guy's coached at Rutgers once. Maybe him. But I, I don't know. It's it's going to be someone I think that's never been at Rutgers before, if I had to guess. So I have an off-the-wall candidate for you, um, and I know I kind of touched on this in a post I made. If you look at what uh, Western Kentucky did last year, they hired the Houston Baptist offensive coordinator who brought with mm-hmm. him Bailey Zappi, who was the number one quarterback rated on PFF last year, and he put up like all-time numbers at Western Kentucky. I think he set the single-season yeah. passing record. Uh, he brought also with him two 1,000-yard receivers to Western Kentucky. So... In that mold this year, I think the best fit is Chris Smith, who's the offensive coordinator at Holy Cross. So Holy Cross's quarterback is Matt Saluka. He's originally from Long Island. He spent a year at Petty. He never lost a game as a starter in high school. He goes to Holy Cross. He's got them undefeated this year at 6-0. and He had, I think they won their first FCS playoff game last year under Matt Saluka. They went 10-3. and Saluka's a true dual threat. This season, he's got uh, 34 or 1,400 yards passing, 14 touchdowns, one interception, 421 yard, 424 yards on the ground, and six touchdowns rushing. This dude's electric. I think he'd fit perfectly with a, a modern or modern spread offense because he's a true dual threat. He doesn't have the strongest arm, but this is the kind of guy that if you're looking for an off-the-wall candidate, if you're looking for something that could bring dudes along with him, Saluka's so got two more years of eligibility. And this is a proven winner. He's, I think he's a stud quarterback. He's PFF's number one overall quarterback uh, across all levels. So this is the kind of move, I think, if you're looking for a talent infusion as well, maybe something you take a look into. Yeah, that, that's an interesting one. I didn't even think about that, um, going that low of a level. I know people are going to be like, oh, Patriot League to Big Ten. It's completely different. But at the end of the day, offense is offense. And um, they did beat Buffalo this year. So, I mean, that's a pretty big win. They are they're kicking the shit out of teams. They beat Bucknell yeah. 57 nothing. Like, it's not like they, they're not they've scoring. Won, like, they've won an FBS team. They've, they've beaten an FBS team two, two straight seasons. So, last year, I believe they beat um, UConn, UConn at UConn. And then this season, they beat Buffalo at Buffalo. So, this is... This is a legit team. Yeah, no, I mean, it seems like they have some uh, serious offense, too. And, I mean, if you can get a quarterback to go with it, it's, it's 
huge. I mean, especially because Rutgers' quarterback situation has been, I don't even know what you want to call it, not good. Yeah. So um, there, there's other names out there, too. Like, I, like I, I know a lot of, like, the coaches. Like, we interviewed the high school coaches, if you haven't seen already. A lot of them mentioned Brendan Marion, who's the pass game coordinator over at Texas. Now, why him? He's a Western PA guy. He was part of the Pitt staff a year ago. And uh, obviously that Pitt staff had one of the best offenses in the country with uh, Jordan Addison dominating Kenny Pickett, ACC champs and all that. But uh, he's, he's interesting because, like, Western PA is producing more talent than most, most areas in the Northeast. And I wouldn't, a lot of, the fact that a lot of coaches are mentioning him kind of makes me look into him a little more. Um, there, there's other guys out there, like maybe Ben McDaniels wants to return to the Big Ten. Um, John Garrett, the former Lafayette head coach, was with Shiano down at Tampa as the pass game coordinator. Like, there, there's so many names out there. It's, it's kind of like, like I said, these hot boards are tough because no one really knows. And all, honestly, at the end yeah. of the day, from what I'm being told, is that like Shiano hasn't even think, thought about this yet. Like, he's focused on the season. He's gonna figure it out after the year. Let's try to get a couple more wins and then go from there. Now, this offense under Nuns is what's going to be interesting to me. Yeah. Um, so, Nuns obviously was the offensive coordinator slash head coach, I believe, when uh, Ash got fired yeah. and also John McNulty got fired in 2019. I think they went, like, one in six when he was the head coach, somewhere around there. Yeah. He beat Liberty, beat, and then he lost yep. all the other games. Um, so, I don't really think it's fair to judge his – his coaching ability based on that season because it was one yeah. of Rutgers' worst teams in recent memory, um, and he was just kind of making do with what, what he had. Um, but everybody talks speaks so highly of of Nuns in terms of you know how smart of a coach he is and how innovative he is, how good he is with quarterbacks. Um, so do you see a? Do you think they're going to come out with an entirely different approach to offense for these last seven game or the, these last six games under under Nuns? Uh, entirely different? I'll, I'll say no right away. Um, just looking back at the stats from when he was OC, it you can't really judge him at all based on that. Like he said, he also had uh, Michael Carter quit at quarterback. He had uh, Art Kowski kind of quit or red shirt, whatever you want to call it. He had Raheem Blackshear straight up quit. Like literally left the team completely. Yep. Um, so, I mean, you lost your starting running back, you started your top two quarterbacks, and then it's like, hey, like, Johnny Langan, I know, like, you're a fresh redshirt freshman or whatever the hell he was at the time. You're our starting quarterback, and we have no other options, so don't get hurt. Um, so he, he, he made it work, though. I mean, he had put up 270 rushing yards against a pretty good Liberty team um, in 2019. that had Antonio Gandy-Golden, if you remember him. I think he put up yep. 100-something yards on Rutgers. Uh, it wasn't a bad Liberty team, and at the end of the day, he got his guys to fight, and I think that's kind of what Shiano's kind of looking for. It seems like, from what we're hearing, is that the locker room was kind of lost with Sean Gleason. It sounds like guys were just starting to question him and question his offensive philosophies, and rightfully so. I mean, you guys yeah. have one touchdown a game. Like, it's it's disgusting, and you're in the red zone part of the time, and you're still not scoring. And, and so these guys like, know who the best players are. They're not stupid. They all pla- practice with one another. Like, why is Sean? Why is Sam Brown getting like th- a cap at like thirteen to fifteen carries a game when he's the only guy in the backfield who's able to make a guy miss, to shed a tackle, to to extend yeah. plays? Like, that was embarrassing. It, it was. It's really bad. But I think Nuns is going to get some fight out of these guys now. What kind of offense is he going to run? I think it's going to be super simplistic. I don't think he's going to go crazy. Again, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. There's nothing that you have to get crazy and overthink. And when you start overthinking, it causes problems. And that's what kind of was Sean Hoyson's downfall. So now, 
I think Nuns is going to be a little bit more simple. I think you'll see a couple like RPOs and stuff like that as well. Like we kind of, for the most part, similar to what we've seen, but minus all the like the fancy shit. Like you don't need to go like doing a wildcat here, wildcat there. You don't need to put yeah. Johnny Lank in and line him up and be like, hey, run straight. Like it's no. I think yeah. um, I don't know who's the quarterback. That's going to be the question. Because uh, obviously Gavin Wimsatt's really not 100%. Maybe this bye week he'll get 100%. Um, I think first and foremost you establish a quarterback. And I, I think Vedro kind of proved himself. If healthy, he's got to be QB1. I think there was no question about that before the season. But then the injury kind of de- derailed a couple things here and there. But uh, I think you, you pick a quarterback, whether it be Vedro, whether it be Wimsatt. I, I don't think you can pick Simon. I don't think he's trustworthy at the moment. But uh, I think you pick one of those two and you ride with him. You get a little momentum going with the quarterbacks. You've seen everyone on social media like criticizing the fact that they keep rotating in guys, rotating in and out. Uh, Gio Rochino the other day during the game was like, you'll never establish a rhythm as a quarterback. Like It's impossible when you're going, hey, two snaps here. Hey, two snaps that guy. Hey, two snaps this guy. Like No, it's not going to work. Stop getting fancy. Stop getting cute and just play the game. I think it's going to be a simple offense. I don't think it's going to be anything crazy. I think they're just going to run. Now people are going to be like, oh, it's going to be the Bergen Catholic offense. No, it's not going to be that. But it, it will be, like, very simplistic. And I think that's what they need. I think that's kind of what has to happen. These receivers aren't getting open. Make it a lot more simpler concepts, simpler routes, and just just play the game. Maybe run a halfback screen once in a while. Like, it's just yeah, I uh, think, it's insane. I, I think just making teams – play a little left-handed and not have being so predictable in, in your play calling is going to be just a massive win for Rutgers because based on yeah. just formation usage alone, we were just, and, and yard and distance alone, like if it was first down, we're running it. If Johnny Langan or Josh Youngblood's in the backfield, we're running it. It's yep. just so obvious what we're doing almost at all times. So if we just are a, even a little bit unpredictable, if we just run play action on, you know, 20% of our dropbacks. Like, that will make everything so much easier for this offense. We've just been doing things unnecessarily difficult all season and then probably internally blaming personnel when that's – you can – like, you've seen this all over the country where coaches are able to, you know, scheme up uh, spacing, scheme up guys open. It's not as hard as our coaches are making it right now, especially Sean Gleason and – and I just hope that we can simplify things like you're saying, but also do things that make sense. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's insane that they can't just move the ball really at all whatsoever. It's it's uh, I don't even know what to say. Like the offense is just so boring and over like they're overdoing everything. It's just it it's crazy to me that like Sean Gleason, who's well, apparently this great X's and O's guy, didn't see this like coming from a like long ways away, but. It is what it is. They got uh, nuns running the show now. We'll see what happens. Um, I wouldn't judge him too much based off game one. I know a lot of people are going to see that. Rutgers is probably going to, knock on wood, should beat Indiana. Um, Indiana's a really bad team, so I'm, I'm thinking that people might see that game and think, like, oh, my God, we're, we're the best offense in the world. Like, that's, that's relaxed. Like, it's, it's still yeah. Indiana. I think you have to judge them based on the first three games. Like, um, who is it? Minnesota after that. That that's a good witness one, witness test type thing to see how nuns yep. is as the OC. Uh, Michigan's gonna be tough, and then the rest of the way, it's it is it's gonna be tough sailing. But um, it's definitely not an easy job. I think nuns is gonna be up for it, and we'll, we'll see what uh see what this offense can do. Maybe maybe uh, start Sam Brown. Uh, that might help. That's a good start. <laughs> 
And it's, it's kind of crazy to think of how far Gleason has fallen. Do you remember after his first year, there was speculation that, like, oh, we have such a great coach, the Giants might want him as their offensive coordinator. He wouldn't leave any, for anywhere else other than maybe the Giants. And now yeah. after two years, we were kind of, you know, everybody was kind of on the fence about him. And then after this season, I, I, where could he get an offensive coordinator job right now? I, I don't know. Interestingly enough, um, after that first year, I had a couple guys reach out to me. I know uh, Georgia Tech was going to make a serious run at him. And it was interesting because then all of a sudden, like, we, we reported there was a school after him on the boards. And then all of a sudden he gets an extension. And it's like, hmm, interesting. Maybe he did get that offer after all. But uh, not that that would have worked out because they fired their head coach anyway. But yeah, um, if, I, if I'm Sean Gleason, I, I don't know. Like, maybe you reach out to Mike Gundy and see, like, hey, like, got a spot on staff for me maybe not as an OC maybe as like a QB coach because in the end of the day he, he has been a pretty good recruiter of quarterbacks my, when he does recruit quarterbacks mm-hmm. uh, weird that you're not recruiting a quarterback in 2022 or 2023 but for Rutgers but I mean yeah. you got Shane Illingsworth at Oklahoma State that's a four star you got Gavin Wimpsat to go to Rutgers I don't think anyone saw that one coming and uh, he got a four, he got Brevin White to choose Princeton over Alabama at one point like he's a good recruiter it seems like but for some reason they just they're like, yeah, we're just going to punt 2022 since we got Gavin to reclass. Yeah, we're going to punt 2023 as well. And it's like, what, the f- what do you mean you punt in 2022 and 23? Like, you have two quarterbacks next year on scholarship. I do want to talk so. about that a little bit. So we took one quarterback of the last three recruiting classes currently, and that's Gavin. Mm-hmm. Um is that like a Gleason specific position? Like he's in charge of quarterbacks. Who? How many we should have, etc. Like I know, obviously Shiano oversees everything, but that is one of the most puzzling things I can remember when following recruiting. Is that you're only going to take one quarterback in three classes? Like we're only going to have two scholarship guys after this season. What are they thinking? It makes no sense. And like we've heard, like they're obviously offered a couple different quarterbacks. They offered the uh, Tucker McDonald kid, who's uh, I think Connecticut native or something like that. They offered, um, but didn't they sell around him pretty quickly? Yeah, that's 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 the word of that's what the word is coming out of Rutgers. Um, I I don't know how much I believe that. I know obviously they should be able to flip a kid from UConn. Um, The UNC Charlotte kid came on an official visit, and then all of a sudden it was like, yeah, no, we don't want him anymore, and it's like. Come on, like just just take a quarterback at this point. It doesn't matter. We posted a couple uh, in the war room this past weekend. Uh, a couple of random guys, which I, I don't even think any of them were scholarship worthy for Rutgers, in my opinion. But Gleason's like reaching out to their coaches, doing a lot of like homework on them and stuff, and it's just like it's very confusing to me because you went from like this nonstop great recruiter of, of quarterbacks to recruiting what a bunch of nobodies, and it's like. What happened over the past, like, year or two? Like, I know the offense has been bad, but you still, like, you're known as this great recruiter. You should be able to land some somebody. It doesn't even matter if you just pick a body at this point because end of the day, the guy's probably backing up Wimsat or Simon over the next couple of years anyway. So to get a body at this point and get someone in there because you cannot – people are like, yeah, Alabama has three scholarship quarterbacks. It's, it's Alabama. It's completely different. Um, you can't have Rutgers, which you don't have a starting quarterback to start with. You need bodies. And then, like, this year, for example, you saw Vedral go down. You saw Wimsack go down. They're rocking with one scholarship quarterback at times. And it's not a good scholarship quarterback at times. Like, it's yeah, it's rough. Like, you got to gotta add bodies. I'm, I, me and Alex have talked about it on the boards. Alex is more adamant about me about this than me. But you need a quarterback every single cycle. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're Ohio State, you're Alabama. Alabama's taking you this cycle. Yeah. Like, it's, it's insane. You need a quarterback. So... I don't know. 
So Rant over. If, I, if, if, if you're setting the odds as to what the odds are that Rutgers takes a quarterback in the transfer portal this offseason, what are you setting the odds at? Is this a minus 400 favorite to, to take a quarterback in the portal, or you think it's way lower than that? I think it's way lower than that. I think they take a high school quarterback before anything. Um, if you're a portal guy, you look at Rutgers' offense, eh. Uh, maybe the only way I could see it happening is if, like, kind of like what you mentioned before with the Holy Cross situation, it would have to be an OC that already has a quarterback established somewhere, and it's like, all right, I'm going to bring him with me. Um, that's the one scenario I could see with the transfer. But at the end of the day, like, people are like, yeah, just hit the transfer portal for two wide receivers, two O-linemen, uh, a quarterback, uh, a running back, a backup running back. And it's like, no, like, they're, kids are transferring to get playing time. They're not going, yep. like, to just transfer just because, you know, I, I did pretty good at Baylor, but I'm from the Northeast, so I'm going to go to Rutgers all of a sudden. Like, no, that's not how it works. Um, people are going to look at the roster. They're going to see Wimsat there. They're going to assume Wimsat's probably the starter for the foreseeable future. He still has three years of eligibility left. And it's going to be tough to get someone. And then you look at the offense that they've ran over the past couple seasons. If you're a quarterback, you're probably not – like, if you're any name quarterback, you're probably looking at that offense and being like, shit, I don't want to go there. I'm not throwing for the, what, 15 points a game, 20 points a game, whatever the hell it is. Yeah. It's um, it's it's going to be tough. It's, it's not going to be – easy to find a transfer portal quarterback and that's why I think you have to go high school here get a guy that you have somewhat some pretty solid potential maybe he's not a starter for you ever on the banks but at the same time this could be a guy that has a ton of potential your new OC would have to probably pick him and that's where it gets a little dicey because the season ends what no end of November and you're going to have two weeks three weeks to sign a quarterback or you wait till punt till February and try to get a high school kid then maybe there's a late bloomer somewhere um, I know the Ocean Township kid that's committed to uh, some Tyler Douglas, I think is his name, committed to Temple. He's one I keep a close eye on. It, and then also, we don't even know what the offense is going to look like next year. Um, is it spread? Is it, are they going to go back to pro style and resort back to that? I hope not because that's miserable to watch. Yep. But it's just not working in today's day and age unless you're Alabama or any of the other big names that have the big boys up front. But uh, I think you, you want to stay f- – you probably just find you wait till the OC's picked. Once that new OC's picked, then you go from there and kind of figure out uh, what you want to do with the quarterback situation. Who knows if Evan Simon even stays or Gavin Winstead? I, I think Gavin stays. I don't even know if Evan Simon will stay though, to be honest, because he's got a couple quips now. Maybe he goes to a lower program and starts for the next three years or whatever he has left. Two years. Yeah, so. I could see it too. I mean, I can't imagine this has been a fun season for him personally. Like, he's gotten opportunities to start, but he's gotten the shit kicked out of him pretty regularly. Yet He's been, you know, a scapegoat for some of these losses when he's not really, it shouldn't necessarily be put it on. It's way more on the coaches why he's been losing these games, especially oh, Iowa yeah. and Nebraska, than it's been on and Evan. Um, and sometimes a fresh start's the best thing anybody could have. And that's not to say any, either of us have any kind of inside information about Evan leaving. But, I mean, we've seen this happen before after seasons that kind of go awry. Guys just sometimes want to start over. Um, Were there any other uh, offensive coordinator candidates that made a lot of sense to you? Because I think there's one to me that makes a lot of sense, Um, Mark Whipple. Because yeah, I think Greg probably leans more towards an established guy than a young guy. Like, not that Sean wasn't established, but... There's a tendency to kind of go the opposite way with your next hires. You did your previous. And, and Mark Whipple, he's developed a lot of good offenses. He obviously had Pitt humming under, you know, a Heisman candidate and Kenny Pickett. 
he developed a pretty good receiver, in, or he oversaw an offense that developed a pretty good receiver in Jordan Addison, who's now at USC. Um, and he, he's making, I think, 850 this year at Nebraska. He's probably not going to be retained there. So we obviously have the money to pay him. But are there any other guys that stick out in your mind that might be good offensive coordinator candidates? Um, Whipple, Whipple's an interesting one because of the Northeast connections. New York guy, like you said, um, Pitts, uh, Pittsburgh uh, OC. Now, did he, is he really doing much since Scott Frost has been fired? I mean, it's tough to say because it's it's Indiana and Rutgers like, at the end of the day, yep. so it's hard to judge. And he only scored, what, 14 points against Rutgers, so it's not like yep. it's a world beater either. So I don't know if I would go that way personally. Um, I'd probably go with the young up-and-comer. Um, I I mean, if you're not getting Longo, who I, I, who's the dream hire? I'd look at Daly. I don't think Signetti is a realistic one. Sullivan was kind of just like he was Greg's OC. Maybe he wants to be OC again. Um, some of the other names on the list, like there's just – there's Warren Regario, who's a New Jersey guy down at uh, Wake Forest, and they run a pretty explosive offense, as, as we saw in the Gator Bowl last year. Um, but I, I don't know if he's going to leave Clawson. They've been together since 09 when uh, they were both at Bowling Green. Uh, honestly, like – I would probably look for, for like like I said, an up and comer. The Villanova OC has been pretty good over the past couple of years. Uh, mind you, it's the FCS level, but I, I think that's kind of where you have to start like shopping. Like you have to start looking down lower because I don't know if you're going to get any of these like huge name hires. Like everyone wants the big sexy name, but at the end of the day, like was Harris Simiak a sexy name? No, and he's been pretty damn good. If you had to say, if I had to say so he's myself, he's excellent. Like, I'm I couldn't be happier with yeah. him as a defensive coordinator hire. So, so maybe you just you go in, you find a, a young up and coming coordinator, um, guy that has a lot of experience at that lower level. Maybe the uh, I don't know how much experience the Holy Cross guy has or the Villanova guy has, but go for one of them, and maybe you have another offensive. Uh, maybe you just redo the entire offensive staff at this point. It's it's yeah. a tough call. I mean, it works for the defense clearly. Uh, you got a bunch of new faces, new names, and maybe that OC brings in a new. Uh, Another assistant coach with him, kind of like what uh, Harris Simiak did with uh, Heatherman. Bring someone that knows your defense already, so and it makes it so much easier to transition from the old playbook put to the new playbook and the schemes and et cetera. So maybe you do something like that. And uh, I don't have a specific name. I'd probably reach out to Joe Daly and reach out to Phil Longo. And after that, I, d- I don't know where you really go. That's the big question mark of the day. Yeah, I do think that we're setting our height, our sights really high with Phil Longo, and that's just kind of like yeah, a of recipe for disaster. Because if you look at like Phil Longo was getting talked about as the next Rutgers head coach, he interviewed for the UCF job a couple years ago that ultimately went yeah. to Gus Malzahn. He's you know in a position where UNC loves this guy. He's like one of their best, like one of their most highly thought of coaches in general, not alone, let alone assistants. Um, mm-hmm. So they're going to pony up if we offer more. Taxes are better in UNC or at in North Carolina. So this is really going to have to be like, I want to get back to the Northeast. I want to get back closer to my family. And we, we're going to have to probably pay him one five realistically if we want At him. least, yeah. Because he he's going to have opportunities probably because at the at, at like the the FBS level to be a head coach because he's shown the ability over multiple stops to take whatever he's got and turn it into a great offense. So he's probably going to get a head coaching offer after the season. So I just – it's really tough to imagine us getting Phil Longo. Yeah. That, like I said, it's the, it's the home run hire. It's the dream hire. But I, I just – I don't know if that happens. I think the most realistic one on our list personally is that Joe Daly, just because Carolina just obviously fired Rule. 
Uh, he'll be looking for a job. Now, the question is, a lot of these guys get to the league, and they kind of realize, like, hey, man, recruiting's like a grind. Like, it, it kind of sucks. Yeah. Like, I don't want to do that anymore. And um, that, that's that been the case for guys like uh, Angelico, and uh, I know some other former Rutgers guy, that we can't remember who. Andrew Janako, who's the quarterback's coach of the uh, the Bears, who I didn't even put on the list because, number one, no OC experience. Number two, these guys get to the league, and they just they they realize recruiting sucks. I think it's yeah. it's, it's a it's a daily grind, and Shiano says it all the time. It's a three hundred sixty five day a year job just doing that alone. Yep. So maybe maybe daily, if you reach out, see if he wants to come back to college. If not, I understand, and then then that's where it gets questionable. I don't really know where you go after that. Um, like I said, there's there's other names out there. There's like Ben McDaniel's who has been at Rutgers before for multiple years. Worked with Shiano in Tampa. Actually, ironically, he last time Rutgers had a thousand yard receiver was under Ben McDaniel's. So I mean, really? Yeah, Leonte Carew back in 2014 with uh, the flood. So I mean, maybe you do that. He's also got some Big Ten experience under his belt now too, between uh, the Rutgers years under flood and then uh, working for Michigan for the past couple seasons. So I mean, maybe you go from that. But uh, he is he is an interesting name. I keep an eye on him. But again, the league. Once you're in the league, it's like I don't want to go back. Um, I don't really know where you go after that. That's maybe John Garrett, who was a Lafayette head coach and uh, was Shiano's pass game coordinator in Tampa. Uh, he has OC experience at Lafayette and Richmond, where uh, I think Richmond, he had, um, he had a pretty damn good quarterback. I can't remember what his name was. Um, but he also had was OC of Oregon State, so it's like he has Power 5 experience. And when in that lone year where he was the OC, their QB, I'm looking at now, threw for 3,600 yards, 15 touchdowns. Had a running back who had running back duo that combined for 1,500 yards alone too. And he's got NFL experience, so I mean, maybe you go that way. They're, they're, I don't think this is going to be a sexy hire. I think it's going to be like a, a pro- probably a name that's not on any of our lists. Like we didn't see Harris Simiak coming. That came out of nowhere. So it might just be a name that's not on any single list on any single hot board and. You might not like it at first, but I think end of the day you got to trust Greg, and Greg knows what he's doing, and we'll go from there and see what happens. Yeah, a lot to, to kind of uh, look through, and I'm sure names will start to leak out as the season progresses, but uh, this is just such a fresh wound, and Greg has made it pretty clear that they're not even really thinking about that right now, and while that's true, there's no way that there hasn't been any sort of feelers put out there. Like, it's not the top of the, the list item, but Greg is often talked about how he always has a list, he always has guys on his mind for potential replacements, yeah. and I'm sure that there's people inside the athletic department who are reaching out to other people about interest in the job. There's no way that's not happening at this point. Um, oh, yeah, but 100%. Is it, is it serious enough to actually, like, move forward? No, it's, hey, what do you think about this? Any interest? That kind of shit. I, I, I have no doubt in my mind those conversations have already happened. But yeah, a hundred percent. I'm sure people like are even talking to Whipple about it. And anyone that has like New Jersey connections are like, yo, that job just opened up. That's a million dollar job right there. Like, yeah. What do you think? Like, this might just be BS, like side talk. But end of the day, uh, that's gonna that's how it starts. And that's just it's a tumbleweed effect, and it just keeps going and going. And before you know it, that guy's the OC, whoever he is. So who absolutely. Knows? So we covered a lot today. I know uh, this week, I believe, is the basketball uh, media day, correct? Yes. So Big Ten media day is tomorrow, technically, but we're okay. probably not going to get a whole lot out of that one because um, we have a local media day on Friday with Pike. So we'll be at practice again. We'll have a bunch of notes. Uh, I think we have a Q&A with Pike scheduled for tomorrow morning. 
I was going to post it this morning, but obviously a lot of a lot of stuff went down last night or yesterday yes, afternoon. Yeah. So um, he does talk about the team. Uh, interesting little tidbit from that Q and A is uh, Antonio Chol is uh, averaging like fifty five percent from three point land in practice so far, which that's is crazy. Very very impressive for him. Uh, he's going to play significant minutes. Uh, we'll have the Pike video after. Uh, I think we can officially put the Bronny James thing to bed because I don't know if you saw, he literally just signed a uh, NIL endorsement with Nike. Rutgers isn't Nike, therefore I don't see that one happening. Not that I, like we mentioned before, it wasn't going to happen regardless, but this this puts it to bed. He's done, he's gone. Now we can tag Bronny James in our videos and get a bunch more views. <laughs> <laughs> That is uh, that is one of the more interesting little. Uh, if there could be like a seven minute long thirty for thirty, just like the 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 week that Rutgers seemed like they were interested in Bronny James, because like if if Zags is posting it, if Zags is posting it, that that info's legit. He's he's a good reporter. He's not pulling it out of his ass. Even if it was like their people putting it out there just to kind of get some interest building up because the NYC market's obviously mm-hmm. a great place to play. There was no... He was never playing here as long as Rutgers was in Adidas school. Like, the the Jameses, for as much as, you know, he, they're a polarizing group, like, they are very business savvy. There's no way LeBron would have let his kid come play for an Adidas school. Zero chance. There's no way yeah. Bronny was putting any sort of Adidas shoe on his foot. So, it didn't make sense from the start. Yeah. Yep, fair enough. All right, well, this went a little long, guys, but we really appreciate you guys sticking around for the entire podcast. Uh, For Richie and I, this has been another edition of the Night Report Podcast. Signing off. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.